0: Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. God bless you. We'll receive the offering at the end of service. We have, uh, we have business to tend to tonight with the word of the Lord. And these lessons, they, they write them so long that it's very hard for me to get them all in in the allotted time. But I hope you're enjoying Search for Truth. I hope you enjoy it as we walk through the scriptures together and uh, just a quick refresher, I know you take your study sheets home with you, but we talked in, in, in chart one, or excuse me, yes, chart one of the last lesson two weeks ago, we talked about God sending Moses as a deliverer. We talked about Israel being delivered out of, the, out of uh, Egypt and headed for the promised land, how God made a covenant with Israel, how we are a holy and separated people under God. Do you believe that? and God dwells with his covenant people. Then our last thoughts on our last lesson was concerning the plan, the tabernacle plan in the wilderness, and it was uh, it was good for us to see the illustrations of the tabernacle. Amen. Tonight we're going to start in lesson five, and uh, I'll, I'm going to go there in just a moment. Let me make a couple of announcements real quick. First of all, First of all, Bethany, I see you up there. Bethany called me today, and and there is a a singing, Michael W. Smith singing on uh, April the 30th. If any of you ladies want to get together and go, Bethany requested that I announce this tonight, and it's fine. Uh, she, she will, Bethany, you will be down here after service. She's keeping her baby in the balcony. But if you will come down here after service, Bethany Sanye will be getting tickets to that. And if any of you ladies would like to go to that, it would be great and uh, go have a good time together. Just something to move uh, with a ladies group and have, have a little fun. Men's Conference will happen tomorrow week in Tioga. starts on Thursday evening. And it will go through Saturday morning. The vans will be going to uh, Tioga on Thursday and Friday if there's enough people. Brother David, wave your hand right there. Brother Ed's not here tonight, but you can see Brother David Boland, our brother Ed Rice, and they will, they will give you details. The men will be having great fellowship. There's dorms down there, our own private dorms if you want to go. We have private dorms there in Tioga at the campground. And uh, you can go and enjoy a great time of fellowship. They'll be going out to eat after the services, and uh, it's just uh, its going to be a great time. And I hope, I hope that some of you can go. If not every service, maybe you can go to some of the service, and that would, uh, that would be good. Lesson five, that's where we are with our search for truth. We're going to talk tonight about a nation divided and then restored. And I, I want to take you through these charts and, and let you see, uh, and I, I hope you understand that what we're trying to do and what we're endeavoring to do is to lay out the Bible in chronological order, and that's what, what we have done for the last four lessons. I, the fourth lesson took two services, but I'm going to try to get through this lesson tonight because this will end the Old Testament. When I get through tonight, we'll be to the end of the Old Testament. And then next week we'll we'll endeavor to move into the New Testament. And that's going to be exciting because we're New Testament people. We're studying a lot of history right here and a lot of things in the Word of the Lord that are important, but yet we are New Testament, New Covenant people. Can you say amen? So we're going to talk, first of all, in uh, if you'll put chart one up, lesson five, chart one. We're going to talk about conquering the land of promise, you know, Moses was called to be the great deliverer of Israel. And, and uh, then after, after serving and, or until he was 120 years old, Moses was taken to the top of a mountain, and there the Lord let him die. Nobody was with him. If you want to know the, the mystery of Moses and how he died, his body, the Bible said in Jude chapter 9, the angels contended for the body... But Satan lost that battle. The angels contended for the body of Moses. So Moses, um, for 38 years, we understand, after Israel was turned back at Kadesh Barnea, they wandered in the wilderness. and, And little is recorded about that 38 years. We do know that there was a cloud by day and a fire by night. We do know that they were miraculously fed. Their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never wore out. God took care of them all through the 38 years of wandering until they came back to Kadesh Barnea. And this time, everything that had been there 38 years before, over 20 years old, had died in the wilderness. Because God said, not one of you, over 20, is going into the wilderness. And so because of the evil report of the spies and because Israel chose to believe that. But now here they are, and they're back at Kadesh Barnea, and they go into the land of Canaan. Numbers chapter 20 verse 12 said this, (laughs) excuse me, this, because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation to the land which I've given them. And that is spoken to Moses. The Lord saying to Moses, you're not going in. And at the age of 120, Moses said his farewell address. Does anybody know why Moses was not allowed to go into the land of Canaan? He struck the rock instead of speaking to it. God said, speak to the rock and water is going to come. He smote the rock, smote it twice. And the Lord said, "In matter of fact, you can read about it in the book of Deuteronomy. And the Lord told Moses, you're not going to see the land of promise. So to. he took him to the top of Mount Nebo, and there the Lord let him die, and the Lord buried him. Here now we have Joshua who is the, the new leader that Moses had, had put in charge. And Joshua, uh, Joshua was to take the children of Israel over into the land of Canaan, and he did that. As a matter of fact, Joshua 1 and 2, the book of Joshua, chapter 1 and verse 2 said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise Go over Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. So God chose Joshua, and here's Joshua the leader, and he's about to take Israel over the Jordan River and into the land of Canaan. We understand how they got over. You know, the Red Sea wasn't the only water that parted in the Old Testament. The Jordan River parted, when the, the priest, the Bible said the priest went forward first and when their feet touched the water, the waters parted of the Jordan, Jordan River and they walked over into Canaan's land. It was the miraculous again. You know we serve a miraculous God. Does anybody believe that today? I could stop right here and preach a little about while today. I was just praying this evening, and the Lord just came to me so strong. With men, there's impossibilities. With God, there are no impossibilities. Nothing's impossible with God. Do you believe that today? Nothing is impossible with God. He rolled the waters back. Matter of fact, when he rolled the waters back, he instructed Joshua and to do some things. In the crossing of the Jordan, you'll see... You'll see that the death of Moses, then Joshua leading the way, in the crossing of the Jordan. But in the crossing of the Jordan, there was remembrance there that God instructed Joshua what to do. He ordered the erection of two memorials to commemorate the miracle of the Jordan crossing. Listen, a man from each tribe carried a stone from the riverbed to build a stone to build on the other side, the West Bank, a second memorial was constructed in the middle of the Jordan by Joshua and the one on the outside was was for them to bring their kids back. I've preached this many times. The stones of memorial that Joshua placed on the banks of the Jordan river the lord said to them i want you to bring your children back here and i want you to tell them what i did i want you to tell them about the miraculous crossing of the jordan and how god gave you the land of canaan as a matter of fact joshua chapter 4 and verse 24 said the purpose for instructing through the memorials was was this all the people of the earth that they may know the hand of the lord that is mighty that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Don't ever forget the stones in your life. Don't ever forget the memorials in your life. Any number of these things I could stop and preach on a while. I got to reading it today, and I thought, my, I never will get through this lesson if I go to if I go to uh, to to preach it on every subject there is here. But the stones and memorial in your life, I can take you back to places in my life where I built an altar. Where I had to have an answer from God. Where God came through when nobody else came through. Are you with me tonight? Stones that were built are that built a memorial before God. Now, now they are conquering Canaan and they are going into the land. Look, it wasn't all easy for, for, for Joshua and for Israel. There's many, many stories I could tell you just about the conquering of Canaan, how they conquered 48 walled cities, how that when they went to Ai, there was sin in the camp of Israel. And so 38 or 37 men died was it 38, 37, 30, whatever, died at the hand of Ai because there was sin in the camp. Achan, because they had marched around Jericho and the Lord said, Don't take any of the spoil of Jericho. Guess what? Achan couldn't resist. He, he took some gold and some silver and a Babylonian garment. And so the next battle they fight is the city of Ai. And when they go up to battle, it should have been an easy battle to win. But people started dying. And, and Joshua says, wait a minute, Lord. You said we were going to have Canaan. You said we were going to win. And the Lord said, you are. Here's what you got to do. You call them out tribe by tribe. You call them out family by family. And then you call them out man by man. And I'm going to show you what the problem is. Let me tell you something about God. He don't play. When he says, leave the things of Jericho alone, he means leave the things of Jericho alone. And when Achan took some things for his own personal gain and buried them in his tent, God sent judgment to Israel And when he came by man by man, the Bible said that Achan and his family, I want you to hear me tonight, Achan and his family were taken and stoned outside the city. They died so that there there could be justification in Israel. I'm preaching to you on this Wednesday night that to conquer your Canaan, you got to do it the right way. Amen. you got to go about it God's way. Somebody here say, "Amen. God will not tolerate sin. Biblical historians and archaeologists verify that, that these things happen and how the walls of Jericho fell, how that God gave Israel the land of Canaan. After the conquest of Canaan, the land was divided up between the twelve tribes of Israel. Joshua called them together. And he gave each tribe a portion of land except the tribe of Levi. And the tribe of Levi was to take from all the other tribes because they were the priesthood and God took care of them that way. But at the end of Joshua's life, at the end of his life, let me tell you, I, I, I remember preaching this years ago after 48 wall cities had failed after miracle after miracle after miracle after things that god had showed and done to to israel and far israel joshua has to call them together and because they were they were doing things that were not pleasing to god and joshua calls the people together and he said i want you to choose today whom you're going to serve are you going to serve The real God or the God on the other side of the flood? What God are you going to serve? And he says this, as for me and my house. This ought to be the cry of every man in this room tonight. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Does anybody feel that way tonight? I don't know what anybody else is going to do, but I'm going to serve God. I don't know what everybody else is going to do, but I'm going to serve God. Amen. So they said, the, the Israelites said, therefore we will also serve the Lord for he is our God. And they continued in victory for 200 years. Next chart, please. For 200 years after Joshua's death, Israel endured turbulent testing and trial. That was the time of the judges, Everybody say that with me, the time of the judges. The time of the judges in, in, in Israel was a, it was a very unique time. As a matter of fact, judges were appointed then to defend. It wasn't like judges that sit on the beach now. Some of them were, were, were military men, but, but they judged Israel. And throughout this period, there was a pattern set in Israel's lifestyle. When the people strayed from God, God would bring judgment to Israel. When, when they repented and came back to God, God would, God would give them victory. There were 15 judges in Israel that reigned in Israel. Now, I want you to, I want you to see this because here's, here's what happened God didn't give Israel a king, He gave them men. Judges to rule and to guide and lead them. That's why I had you say this is the time of the judges. They, they, they ruled. Let, let me give you a few names of judges and you'll understand. One's name was Gideon. Remember Gideon? You know the story of Gideon? God calls him and said, Gideon, I, 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 want, you to, I want you to go to I want you to go and fight the Midianites. And and, and Gideon said, Lord, I I can't do that. And the Lord said, Thou art a mighty man of valor. And so he said, Okay, Lord, and he fleeces God. Anybody read that story lately, how he fleeced God? And and God showed up and showed him what he was supposed to do. And so he he said, Look at the army of the Midianites. They're like grasshoppers. That's what he said. He said, There's more of them than there are us. And so he calls the men of Israel together, and he had 32,000. Well, that's not a bad army, 32,000. God said, You got too many. He said, Tell everybody that's afraid to go home. You know how many left? Huh? 22,000. 22,000 people said, I'm going home. You know what God said? You got 10,000 still too many. What? They're like grasshoppers. Here's the man that is God has called to bring victory to Israel. And and the Lord says unto him, "Take, boy, this is a pre- this is a preacher right here. He said, "You take them down to the water. And there's going to be a little test. You have them all get a drink. And some of them got on their knees and put their their Mouth to the water. he said, you you set them on one side. And some of them took their hands and pulled the water up and lapped it like a dog out of their hands, watching all around them while they lapped the water. The Lord said, you put them on one side. Now, he had a group over here that was 300. He had a group over here that was 9,700. Can you imagine Gideon? He probably thought, said, well, I'm going to 9,700. The Lord said, you send the 9,700 back. I just need 300 men. You know what he did? He put 300 men strategically around the Midianites and at at a certain sound. They blew the trumpets, they broke the lamps, the pitchers, and they, the Bible said that the Midianites began to destroy and kill one another. And God gave them great victory. This was Gideon, a judge of Israel. There was another judge by the name of Samson. Anybody know about Samson? Probably the strongest man that ever lived. Did not, no razor touched his head from his birth. He had taken the Nazarite vow. Three times when Samson was going down to the land of the Philistines, three times Delilah tried to entice him and tell him, or for him to tell her where his strength was. Every time he didn't tell her the truth until finally, finally, she she seduced him into telling her where his strength lies. You know what he did? Now, look, we're talking about a man. That, that, uh, that would get the gates of a city on his shoulders and walk up a hill and set them down. We're talking about a man that slew a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. We're talking about a man that caught 300 foxes and tied their tails together and sent them through the enemy's crop. This wasn't an ordinary man, and they knew. And you know what, she, she, would, she would get him to tell her, and he would tell her some, some fable, and I'm not going into the whole story because I don't have time, but every time he'd come out, he'd break the ropes, he'd break the green wrist, he'd whip everything there, and they'd say, no, nah, that's not it. But one time, he did tell her, and she shaved off the seven locks of his head, or had them shaved off. And when he awoke, the Bible said, he said, I will go out as at other times before, but he wist not that the Spirit of the Lord was departed from him. And Samson was taken. His eyes were gouged out. He was taken to grind at the meal, and he ground at the meal all the days of his life and the mockery of the Philistines because he, he disobeyed God. But let me tell you, in the last days of his life, he was standing while they were having a party. He was standing in the, in the temple where, where, they were, where they were having worshiping their idol gods and having a big time and a celebration, and he prayed one prayer, and God let his strength come back to him, and he pushed the pillars of the temple aside, and he killed more in his death than he did all of his life. This is Samson, the judge of Israel. Then you got to talk about Samuel, whom God called at an early age. Samuel, Samuel was a miracle child. Hannah. His mother prayed for God to give her a child, and and, and he did. And guess what Hannah did? She brought him back literally to the temple and gave him to the temple of God. Now, we don't want your kids here. We ain't got a babysitter. We want you to give your kids back to God, but we don't want you to bring them here and leave them. This is not Samuel's day, and I'm not Eli. Amen? But here's here's Hannah who, who went before God. Was, was barren and God gave her child and she brought Samuel back and Samuel wakes up in the middle of the night because he hears a voice and he runs to Eli and Eli says I didn't call you go lay down and go to sleep and it, it happens again and he goes back to Eli and Eli says I didn't call you and it happened the third time and Eli knew something was going on he said next time you hear that voice Samuel you say here am I Lord here am I And so he did and God called Samuel at a very early age. And Samuel, I've been reading the book of Samuel over the last week or two, uh, both books of Samuel. Let me tell you, powerful stuff. Samuel was a powerful man of God. But Samuel was the last judge of Israel and here's why. Because Israel wanted to be like everybody else. Let me tell you something. Could you hear me right now? God don't want us like everybody else. He called us out. If you are in the church, the church means ecclesia. That means he called you out. Well, we just need to be like, no, we don't need to be like everybody else. We still need an old-fashioned move of the Holy. I'm going to preach a little bit here, right here. We still need to walk different, talk different, live different, act different, dress different, be different in our spirit, be different in everything that we are, because that's what God called us for. He called us out of darkness. Somebody shout out of darkness. He called you out of the world. He called you to be a separated people. You can't talk in tongues on Sunday and cuss on Monday. Hello. You can't live for Jesus on Sunday and live like the devil on Tuesday. Just thought I'd inject a few things here. God don't want you like everybody else. But Israel demanded a king. Israel said, we want a king. They went from what is known as as theocracy to monarchy. Theocracy was that judges ruled, people were ruled by what God's design was, but monarchy, there's one man now in charge of all of Israel. One man. And so God... God didn't want them to have it. Listen to me right now. The Bible said in one place in the book of Psalms that he granted them their request, but he sent leanness to their soul. God may give you what you keep bugging him about, but it may not be best for you. There's a story in this. Many years i told this story, and this, this always reminds me of this story. Some of you are new, so I'll tell it again. Many years ago, back in the 70s, I decided I was going to be a a pilot. Don't laugh, I became one. In five months, I got my pilot's license. I flew all over this country. Matter of fact, me and my buddies decided we wanted our own plane. So we went and bought a brand new Cessna 172, completely IFR rated. You don't know what that means. That means you can fly with instruments. And we had, we had a good time going. But when I started to buy that plane, I prayed and I said, Now, Lord, if it's your will. Well, guess what? First deal fell through. Guess what? Second deal fell through. Guess what? I don't know how many times it happened, but I kept pressing. And God did me like he did Israel. He let me have what I wanted. But let me tell you something, that wasn't the best thing for me because my buddies were farmers and the crops got bad and everything went downhill. And guess who was left holding the bag with the old Cessna 172? And I said, Lord, if you'll help me get rid of this thing, I won't do this no more. And he did, thank God. But here's what I want to tell you. Don't keep pressing God for things that are not what he wants you to have. You pray for the will of God in your life. Israel kept pressing. They kept pressing. They kept pressing. Samuel Samuel came to them. They said, and Samuel got upset. You know what? Samuel thought that it was because of him. He really did. I read this the other day when the elders approached the The age Samuel to ask for a king like all other nations. He took it personal. He He got upset. You know what God said to him in 1 Samuel 8 and 7? Listen to this. God said to Samuel, they've not rejected thee, but they've rejected me that I should not reign over them. That's not what I'm choosing for them. But if that's what they want, that's what they're going to get. And so God did give them a king. His name was Saul. His name was Saul. Samuel was anointed and... God sent him looking. He found a guy that was head and shoulders above every man in Israel. Big dude. Big old tall, muscular guy. And God anointed him because he wasn't big in his own eyes. He was little in his own eyes, but God anointed him to be the king of Israel. Israel had a king for 120 years. Watch me right here. If you'll notice with me, King Saul. King Saul was, when he first started out, was a fantastic king. Does anybody know why King Saul lost his kingship and lost his anointing? He disobeyed God. Somebody say he disobeyed God. Why didn't Moses go into the promised land? He disobeyed God. Why didn't Saul, why wasn't Saul king longer and why did God take his anointing from him? He he disobeyed God. When God said, utterly destroy the Amalekites, Saul Saul said, I'm going to take care of these Amalekites, but he kept a few sheep and he kept some oxen and he kept Agag the king and he kept a few things for his own glory. And when Samuel showed up in the camp, Samuel said, what is this I hear? Is this the lowing of oxen? Is this the bleeding of sheep? And who is this man? Oh, that's Agag. We're going to make sport out of him. We're going to let all of Israel know how victorious we were. And, And the Bible said, listen to me right now. The Bible said that God was angry with Saul. And Agag, the Bible said, Samuel said, where's a sword? And they gave him a sword. And he literally hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord. And he said, God has taken your anointing, Saul. Not only that, you're right, he offered a sacrifice when he shouldn't have. Samuel was supposed to offer the sacrifice, and Samuel didn't show up when he's supposed to, a little bit late, and Saul said, I'll take this on myself, and so he offered the sacrifice. God was displeased with Saul. Saul, Saul's successor was a man by the name of David. David was chosen when he was a boy. Samuel, the prophet, God said, "Samuel, go down to, to Jesse's house, and I'm going to show you who's going to be king." Well, Samuel walks in. Jesse parades all his boys out, and they're all standing there. And here's one guy; he probably he probably biggest gauge, you know, gauge. I look up to gauge literally. But he was muscular. He was strong. He looked like the guy, and and and. The Lord spoke in the ear of Samuel and said, not him. I've already rejected him. His name was Eliab. He said, I've already rejected him. And Samuel looks at Jesse and says, you got any more boys? He said, I got one more. He's, he, he's just a little shepherd boy. He's out in the field. He, he's not king material. He said, no, 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 no. You go get him. I'm paraphrasing now. I'm putting it in our language, like you read a Bible that could you could understand. I'm giving it to you in our language. He said, he said, go get him. And he brought in David. David was a little ruddy young boy, and, and he was a talented guy. He could play the harp. He was a great shepherd boy. But I tell you, he had some fight in him, too, because we find out later that he slew a lion and he slew a bear. And when he went to take his brother's food down, down to, 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 to the war with the Philistines, he wasn't in it, but his brother's was. Here's big old Eliab down here fighting. And they send David down. Jesse does to take him some bread and cheese. And he hears this booming voice in a valley Send me a man to fight. And it's Goliath challenging the people of God know what David did, you know the story, I don't have to tell you all this, many of you do. If you don't, let me, let me, let me give it to you in a nutshell. David said, I'll fight that guy. And they dressed him up with Saul's armor, and he couldn't even carry the armor. He jerked that armor off and said, no, 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 I don't need this. I slew a bear, I slew a lion, and, and that Philistine is about to fall by the hand of God. And he picked up five smooth stones, and he took his sling and walked out there, and he slung that sling around, and he let that stone go, and it hit him right there in the forehead. He runs over. He takes the sword of Goliath and cuts his head off. A giant. And he won the heart of Israel. And David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't always perfect. Could I tell you a couple of things about David? I, I, I'm trying to hurry here, but a couple of things about David you need to know. David was called the man after God's own heart. How many of you know that? God called him the man after God's own heart. Well, let me tell you about David. He was a man. And one day, He saw a woman that he lusted after, and he sent for her, and he loved her, and he wanted her, so he called her husband in and put him on the front lines of the battle. His name was Uriah, and he had Uriah on the front lines of battle because he knew he would lose his life, and when Uriah lost his life, David took his wife, and Nathan the preacher showed up. And tells a little parable. And David said, Oh, no, 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 that's terrible. That can't happen. And Nathan points his little bony finger in the face of David and he said, Thou art the man. Psalms 51. I want you to, I want you to, if you don't have it marked in your Bible, I want you to write it down and I want you to read it before you go to bed tonight. One chapter, Psalms 51. One of the most fantastic chapters of the Bible one of the most moving chapters in the scriptures. Psalms 51 is David's repentant prayer because he committed murder, he committed adultery, and he lied to the preacher. You with me? But in Psalms 51, he prayed such a repentant prayer It's there that he says, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew in me a right spirit. It's there that he says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. It's there that he says, purge me with hyssop. It's there that he cries out to the Lord in repentance. Now, you believe whatever you want to. I'm just telling you what I know about God and what I believe. I believe this is why God said of David, he is a man After my own heart. Because he knew how to admit his wrong and confess it before God and repent earnestly before the Lord. Amen. He was a repentant man. So David was 30 years old when he became king. He had to dodge the sword of Saul a couple times. He had to run for his life. He became king when he was 30 years old. Listen to me. 40 years Saul reigned. 40 years David reigned, and 40 years David's son reigned. His name was Solomon. What do we know about Solomon? Matter of fact, I was reading about Solomon early this morning. I put my Bible down. I didn't, I didn't realize I'd be teaching about tonight. I told my wife early this morning, I said, Solomon, Solomon was such a, he, he, he was such a unique guy. When God spoke to Solomon, and he said to Solomon. What do you want? I'll give you anything you want. You know what he asked for? He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for a wife. He didn't ask for good. You know what he said? I want knowledge and understand. I want wisdom and I want understanding. And God gave it to Solomon. The Bible said he was the wisest man that ever lived. Amen. Here's a story about Solomon. In his early days, in his early days, The Bible said there were two harlots that lived in the same house and they had babies and they were both with child. And one night, one of them rolled over and killed her baby, laid on it and killed her baby. Well, she takes her dead baby and goes and lays it in the room with the lady that had the live baby and steals the other baby. And so there's a great dispute because when the woman woke up, she said, This is not my child. You have my child. And they they begin to argue. And 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 here's I'm just paraphrasing the story. So they took the babies and went to Solomon. One's dead, one's alive. And they're saying, That's my baby. One would say, she'd say, No, that's my baby. Solomon said, Well, I'll tell you what, let's do bring me a sword. I'm about to cut this baby in half, and I'll give both of you half. And the woman whose real baby it was said, oh, no, 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 please don't do that. Just let her have the baby. And Solomon rewarded the baby to the woman because he knew. That's the wisdom of Solomon. He said, well, that's not a big deal. Yes, it was a big deal. It, the Bible said it was heralded throughout all the land. Everybody learned of of his decision. And Solomon was a great man, a wise man. You ever heard of Solomon's temple? It was he. David wanted to build a temple for God, but the Lord didn't let him because he shed too much blood in his reign as king. But the Lord said, I'm going to let your, your son build it and Solomon build it. And way back many years ago when I studied it, way back seriously in probably the 70s, the price upon Solomon's temple in the 70s, what, according to what is written in the Word of God, was $87 billion Quite a temple. I'm talking about gold, silver, precious jewels, everything you can name, $87 billion. That's been 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Amen. So Solomon reigned for 40 years. Solomon's life ended sadly. All that wisdom... Listen to me right now. He had 300 wives and 700 concubines. He had 1,000 women. Now, don't envy him because he got in trouble. And Solomon, in all of his wisdom, you know what my daddy used to tell me? G.E. Chance used to tell me all the time. He used to say, son, Women got Solomon. Be careful. They'll get you too. His life ended in disarray because they convinced him to build idols. They convinced him to build idols. And so I'm telling you that his life ended sadly. So 120 years of kingship ended in Israel. And then... And then Solomon died. War loomed on the horizon. Solomon's son by the name of Rehoboam, Rehoboam. He succeeded the throne of Solomon, and, but he was an arrogant guy. And when the people were crying because the taxes were too high, he taxed them more. Sounds like other people I know. <laughs> He really did. He taxed them more. The more they cried, the heavier the tax got. And so there was a division of the kingdom. Jeroboam took ten tribes, and this was called, you've got to stay with me right here, he, took, he became the king of Israel, and he took ten tribes, and they were called the northern, the northern uh, kingdom. Jeroboam, or excuse me, Jeroboam took 10 tribes and they were called, Rehoboam took two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and they were called the southern kingdom. The kingdom was divided. Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom. Israel's capital was erected in Samaria. And in the the next 200 years, her 19 kings were responsible for an abundance of murder, suicide, assassination, political unrest, and their dedication to God was forgotten. And eventually, the northern kingdom went into captivity in 721 B.C. in Assyria and never returned, 10 tribes. As a matter of fact, it is here that when the Assyrians mingled and married Israelites, they became half-breeds known as what you're going to learn in the New Testament as Samaritans. Just keep that in your mind because we're going there later. There were prophets in Israel. There were prophets like Elisha and Elijah and Jonah and Amos and Hosea. There were prophets that came to warn them. Just just notice on the left side up there, King Jeroboam reigned and then you had all these prophets. You can read about them in their books in the Bible. You can read what they did. Remember Elijah, one of the most One of the most wonderful things that I can remember, and I've said this before, about our trip to Israel three or four years ago, was when we stood on top of Mount Carmel, right where Elijah called fire from heaven, when he challenged the prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Baal, and they cut themselves with knives and screamed, and, you know, their God wouldn't hear, and Elijah was laughing. He'd say, maybe he's asleep, and then he'd say, maybe he's on vacation, and the more he, in our terminology, ragged them, and the more he he pushed them, they they were highly upset, and all day long, all day long, they cried for their God, and their God wouldn't do anything. But I'll tell you what Elijah did. He said a 63 word prayer. Go read it in the King James version. 63 words he prayed. And when he did fire fell from heaven, lapped up the sacrifice, lapped up the altar, lapped up all the water in the trenches, lapped up even the dust because that's our God. Elijah was that kind of prophet to the northern kingdom. Elisha, who was who was a follower of Elijah, took the mantle of Elijah when he was translated. Remember we talked about in the very verse of the Bible that there were were only a couple of people that didn't die? Well, here's one of them called Elijah. Enoch was translated. Elijah was translated. Elijah, when he was translated, his mantle fell on Elisha. Well, he had already said, Elisha had, when Elijah said, "What, what do you want? He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. Oh, that God would give us some Elishas of the 21st century that says, I want a double portion of whatever God's giving. I want a double portion of the Holy Ghost in my life. If you study the life of Elisha and Elijah, Elijah performed seven major miracles in his life. You can go read it. I'm not. I don't have time to go there and tell you all of. But he, take my word for it. If you don't, well, you can go find it for yourself. He performed seven major miracles. How many? How many miracles did Elisha perform? Thirteen in life. But guess what? They buried Elisha, and it wasn't. But just a little time down the road till they threw another guy that was dead in the tomb of Elisha and they looked up and here he come down the road because the bones of Elisha had power and the body of Elisha even in death had power and that was his 14th miracle. He got a double portion. Everybody say amen. Let me hurry. So Assyrian captivity in 721 B.C. The king of Assyria captured Samaria. They they. They lost everything. Within 200 years after Solomon's death, Israel, the northern nation, was no more. But Judah, the southern nation, the southern kingdom, from the time of Solomon until the Assyrian captivity, seven different families or dynasties reigned in Israel. However, in Judah, the ruling lineage remained unbroken to assure that the house of David, would father the promised Messiah. And so the family lineage went down through Judah, the southern kingdom. Nineteen kings, one queen, occupied the throne of Judah at Jerusalem. Some of them were righteous, some of them were wicked. Some of them done good, some of them not so good. There were prophets in Judah. Notice on the right side, you had Daniel and Ezekiel and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Obadiah and Micah and Nahum and Joel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. All of these were prophets. You read their scriptures. This is how, this is what, how I'm telling you the Bible is laid out chronologically because when you read these, these books of the Bible, every one of them I just named are books of the Bible, they are speaking to the southern Kingdom. They are speaking to these people to whom they are called to be prophets. Joel's prophecy. Man, we could talk about that because Joel didn't just prophesy to them. His prophecy reached over into the New Testament. It was Joel that said, in the last days, saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. Amen? And on he goes. We'll talk about that when we get to the New Testament. So, so these, these prophets, Joel is among the earliest prophets of Judah. He described forthcoming plagues and destruction. Nahum prophesied and reiterated to Nineveh the call to repentance, which Jonah had issued 150 years earlier. Micah. What a prophet Micah was. He even prophesied the town that Jesus would be born in. Obadiah prophesied, warning during the end of the Old Testament era to Judah's neighbors, Edom. Zephaniah cautioned Judah to repent or be destroyed. Habakkuk preached a similar message of the coming judgment. Two other prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, They exercised significant influence in the lives of Judah. But but I'm telling you right now, even though all of this happened, they went into Babylonian captivity. Notice in 586 B.C., they went into Babylonian captivity. So the nation was divided. The northern kingdom of ten tribes went into Syria and never returned. But when they went into Babylonian captivity, this is where you read about Daniel in the lion's den. This is where you read about the prophecies of Daniel. Let me tell you about Daniel. I don't have time to to preach everything there is about him, but Daniel not only prophesied to the southern kingdom, he prophesied to 2022. You could take the prophecies of Daniel and line them up with the book of Revelation, and it's a very powerful prophecy in the Old Testament of the day that we're living in. Both Daniel and Ezekiel are regarded as, as exilic prophets since they ministered during the Babylonian exile. From the set apart remnant, God would, would bring and restore his people of the southern kingdom back. And so. Uh, First, the Jews were forever cured of idolatry through all of this, and never again did they turn to idolatry after this. Secondly, the synagogue of worship was reinstituted because God had a way of reconciling and bringing Judah back. And and I could go into the story of Nehemiah. I can tell you about all the things that happened in Nebuchadnezzar's day, how that God turned him to the field; he became a beast. I can tell you about the return to uh, to to the Israel or, or to the land of Judah and to Jerusalem and how the temple was rebuilt in fifty two days or the wall was rebuilt in fifty two days and the temple was reestablished. How that all of these things came to pass. I, I if you want, I'll tell you what. Let me do this. Let me read to you Daniel's prophecy in in just in a nutshell so before i go on the prophecy is a basic structure of later prophecies of the old of from the old testament to the new testament the golden head represented by nebuchadnezzar's dream the babylonian kingdom when daniel began to interpret it the silver chest and arms typified the second world dominion of the Median Persian kingdom that began 70 years later. The brass stomach and thighs depicted the empire found by Alexander the Great of Greece. The meaning of the iron legs, both in chapter 2 and his vision of four beasts in chapter 7, is not specified, but it is termed the Roman Empire because the Romans succeeded the Grecian Empire. All of these things that Daniel is saying has come to pass and is coming to pass right now. Tell me the Bible's not real. Tell me the Bible's not true. Next chart, please, in a hurry. The remnant is restored. I spoke about it. Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. Prophets came. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Ezra restored the law, and everybody in Israel had to hear the law. Nehemiah reconstructs the wall in 52 days. The rebuilding of the temple and the repairing of the walls at Jerusalem were historic, and it was God's way of restoring and bringing back Israel or Judah to to their homeland. I, there's so many stories that could be talked about here, but this is what you read when you read the major and the minor prophets of the Bible. You got to understand, and you have your study sheet. It will show you, it will show you these things: what prophets were were prophesying to the northern kingdom and then to the southern kingdom. And then we have, and I'm hurrying because I have five minutes, between the Testaments, everybody say this with me, 400 silent years. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were 400 years of silence, 400 years. When the completion of the writing and the ministry and the minor prophets or the major and the minor prophets, God, God ceased speaking, and nobody speaks. No law, no, no word. It was 400 silent years. And then history. Let me just walk you through this real quick. There was Persian rule. There was Greek rule. And then at Jesus Christ's time, there was Roman rule. They had the Old Testament canon. There was new religions that were formed. Go study the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They all came along during the 400 years of silence there was the Greek translation of the Scripture because at that time, the world was commanded to learn the Greek language. And so there was a quest for knowledge and uni- universal Greek language, religious dissatisfaction, persecution and dispersion. And then the Romans built the roads. They paved the way for Christ and his gospel. They built the roads in the Roman Empire. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, 400 years all of these things took place. And you only read this through the voice of historians. There's nothing from Malachi to Matthew as far as the word of God for 400 years. But next next chart, if you will, one more chart. These are the dispensations that we've studied. Remember innocence, the time of the garden. What happened when Adam and Eve found out? That they were naked, they had a conscience. When they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and life. And then came the time of human government. And then came the time of Abraham promise. Then came the time of the Mosaic law upon Mount Sinai. Do you know where we are right now? You know where we are? I want you to see something with me. I, want you, I took you through all this to show you. All of this is history. Here's where we are right here. We're in the sixth dispensation of time. We're very close to this. This is the kingdom age. This is what we're going to study in the New Testament, the millennium. This is a 1,000 years of peace. We're going to talk about that. But we are in the dispensation, the sixth dispensation. This dispensation, will see the coming of the Lord. This dispensation was because of the cross. What a great spirit of God we had here Sunday talking about the cross. Anybody glad you know about the cross today? So here's what we've studied and here's where we are. Now, I know I've covered a lot of things real quick tonight, but it's 758. I'll, I'll do my best to answer any question you have, but I challenge you to take your Bible. If we studied every story and every prophet and everything, that, but, but I wanted you to understand how it worked when the, di- the kingdom was divided There's prophets that went to the north. There's prophets that went to the south. The kingdom of the north vanished away and never came back to the land. That doesn't mean that they died. That just or they went away as Jews, but they never came back to the land. But Judah did come back. Jerusalem was rebuilt. The wall was rebuilt. The temple was rebuilt. And then they fall right back in to, to the empires that ruled from there, the Persians, the Medes and the Persians, and the Greeks and the Romans. And now 400 years of silence, then 400 years of silence in that time. And now we step next week into Matthew chapter 1, the New Testament, the New Covenant. This is how we got to Matthew chapter 1. Everybody say Amen.